Hi. Hey. It's been a long time. How are you, everybody? Are you happy to be out of the cage? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> okay. I'm very happy to be here, Baruch Hashem. Okay. So, who's young enough to remember Robert Redford? All the ladies remember first, the, the gentlemen, oh yeah, yeah. So, so we'll do some Kabbalah now and remember Robert Redford. <coughs> a friend of my friend, a friend of my friend lived in a small town where Robert Redford would live when he was not filming. It was a place where he liked to go chill. A small town, not a lot of people, you didn't have to um, face the crowds when he went outdoors. So it was like, you know. So one day, this woman decides that she's exercised a lot and she is going to get herself an ice cream as a reward. That makes sense, right? You exercise a lot, you reward yourself with ice cream. So she went to the ice cream shop and for the first time in her life, she was face to face with Robert Radford. Now this is going back a long time, right? So in those days, she was young, he was young. She's in the ice cream place with Robert Redford. So her heart jumped inside her because he's a famous person and he's such a, you know what? And uh, yeah, so her heart is jumping inside her and she says to herself, keep cool, keep cool. You know, nothing's happening, nothing, how you're in control. She walks in, she orders her ice cream. Robert Redford smiles at her. This is a real story, real life story. He smiles at her and says, hi, and she says, hi back. And maybe they exchange one sentence, whatever. And um, she orders her ice cream. She pays with cash, because remember, this is the olden days. She pays with cash, and she gets her change. She takes her ice cream, and she leaves. She gets to her car, and she's shivering and shaking. Her hands are shaking, and she realizes she doesn't have her ice cream. Oh, I paid, but... I must have left it behind. So she goes back expecting that her ice cream cone is going to be on one of those thingies that they have for, one of those circle thingies that they have for putting your ice cream. She goes back and she looks and her ice cream is not there. She looks around, she looks around, and Robert Redford looks at her and says, you put it in your purse. (laughs) That's what happens when you're like, and you weren't ready. Another one. So we don't want to be caught face to face and unprepared. So if she would have known in advance that she's going to meet a celebrity at that ice cream place, she would have be more poised, more prepared, and she perhaps would not have put her ice cream in her purse because she was prepared. So her mind was, you know, in the mode. Okay. We are now in the month of Elul, and that is the month before Rosh Hashanah. We have 30 days of Elul before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So what is the spiritual energy of this month? Um... The Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs, is a love story between a man and a woman, but it's really a love story between the Creator and His people. That's us. 
So he and us are the beloveds. And do I have? No, I don't. I don't have one to write on. Okay, so you'll have to imagine the words. So the word Elul, which is an Aleph, Alamed, Avav, and Alamed, is made up of that sentence. So there is a verse in the Song of Songs in Shira Shirim that says, Ani ledodi vedodi li. I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. And if you take those, should I write it down so you can see? Or you can figure it out by yourselves. Whoops. We want this side, and we want Ani ledodi vedodi li. I'm not too good at this, but... Okay. So, anile dodi vedodi li, if you take the first letter of each word, you get alef lamed vav lamed, which is elul, which is the last month of the year before Rosh Hashanah. And that's, I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. Now, there is another verse in the Shira Shirim, in the Song of Songs, that says the same idea in the reverse order. Dodi li anilo. My beloved is to me, and I am for him. So what is the meaning of saying the same thing in flipped order? So the Kabbalah explains that this relationship between the Creator and His people is that sometimes we take initiative and we move ourselves towards God, and sometimes He takes initiative and He moves towards us. In the Kabbalah lingo, this is called anitaruta deletata and anitaruta deleela. That's just a tongue twister. Anitaruta deletata means an awakening from below. Below is the human beings. That's us. So when we awaken our feelings for God, our, we, we inspire ourselves. We take initiative to move towards getting to know God, um, having more love, having more awe for him, working on ourselves to rise spiritually. That's an awakening from below because we are considered to be below and when God takes initiative, that is called an itaruta de la Eila, an awakening from above. Examples for this is, in the month of Elul, we prepare ourselves for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's an awakening from below, from us. We, are, we know we're going to be judged on Rosh Hashanah and sealed. Our fate is going to be sealed on Yom Kippur. So we prepare for a month before doing Teshuvah and rising higher spiritually to meet Hashem. So this is an awakening from below. And that's the idea of ani ledodi, I am to my beloved, and my bedodili, and my beloved is to me. When would be an example of the opposite? Anybody? There is a Jewish holiday when the whole initiative is coming from above. And that is, for instance, Pesach. And Pesach, we didn't do much. We were in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, we were slaves, we were miserable, we couldn't do much to rise spiritually. We were in the 49th level of impurity. And if we would have stayed any longer, we would have reached the 50th level of impurity, and then that's it, we couldn't be rescued anymore. So Hashem takes initiative, that's an itaruta de la Eila, an awakening from above. Hashem takes initiative, he comes down to Egypt, he pulls us out with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, and he gets us out of Egypt. And then we respond. 
So that's the dodi liva anilo. My beloved is for me and I am for him. That God takes initiative and we respond. So in Elul and in Pesach, we have opposite movements. Whoever is starting the, the move, taking initiative for that move towards the other. But don't we see that God is closer to us now in Elul? Yes, in, in a way... Yes, that he's more available. So that's what we're going to learn about, that he's more available at this time. Okay. Now, the Talmud in Yoma, page 39, says, When a human being strives and starts and works to uplift him or herself, to... To lekadesh means to sanctify. To the person tries to sanctify themselves from below, from here, so then he's very much sanctified from above. Meaning that when you take initiative to start to do something to improve yourself, you will get tremendous help. Especially when you ask for that help. I think I might have mentioned this once in another class, that we are always praying for the things that we need, that we feel that we can't get without divine help. But we don't always pray for the spiritual things because we feel we are responsible to achieve that on our own. But it's not so. We need to pray for the spiritual things as well. So, for instance, we pray to God to be healthy because we know that I could eat well and exercise and get to sleep on time and whatever, but if he doesn't give me health, that's it. The health comes from God. And... So we pray to God for help. And I, we know that we could work, but if he doesn't make our business successful, it's not going to make anything. So we know that for health and for family and for um, Parnassa, which is um, income, we need divine help. We don't always remember that we do need divine help for the spiritual things as well. There is a short story that made a very profound impact on me, and I don't know if I ever told it to you. There was a man who was an atheist, and he was on a commercial ship near the coast of Egypt. And it was the middle of the night, and he went out um, on the deck um, just to look at the stars or whatever. And he slipped, and who, know, who knows what happened? He fell. He fell off into the Mediterranean. And it's a good thing that he was a very, very good swimmer. But it's the middle of the night. It's very dark. Nobody heard. Nobody saw. He screams and screams. But it's the middle of the night. Nobody's around. And that's it. The ship goes off and he's left alone. He's too far from the coast um, to swim. And even though he's strong and a good swimmer, but, you know, there's only so much he can do. He's a, he's a human. Now, that's a very good time to discover that actually there is a God because nobody else is coming to get you. So this atheist says, has a lot of time. He's striving to stay afloat, but he's getting very tired and his energy is giving in. And he says, you know, I have heard people believe in God. I don't know if it's true or not. I never believed in God. But if there is a God, this would be a good moment to start talking to him. So he says, um, God, I know that I never believed in you, and I never prayed to you, and I don't know if you exist, 
But if you do exist, this would be a good moment for us to have a meeting. And if you do exist, God, I am praying to you to save me. And obviously, if you do save me in this very, very desperate situation, I will believe in you. And no sooner had he finished saying these words when he saw a light, a very small light in the distance. The light came closer and closer, and it was another ship. And he screamed, and they heard him, and they rescued him. So now he believes in God. Had I told you this story last time? Never. Okay. So I heard this story from a young man who heard it from a person who heard it directly from the person it happened to. So it's not too distant. So this is that kind of dynamic that we reach, reach out to Hashem and he responds. In that case, it was a very extreme situation. So the, so the response is very miraculous. But any time that we pray, he is listening. Every word of prayer is accepted, and every word of prayer is answered. It's just that we don't always see the answer in a manifest way, but every word of prayer and reaching out to God is always answered. The time of Elul is a time of teshuva, is a time to return to God in every possible way, because then in the month of Tishrei, that's the following month, it will be Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, God will be revealed as a king in a very different way. And then we will be able to get a different kind of revelation that will be proportionate to the work that we do now in the month of Elul. There is another verse, also in Shira Shirim and the Song of Songs, this is our third verse from Shira Shirim, that says His left is under my head and his right hand hugs me. Again, his left is under my head. That's obviously the woman in the story, in the love story speaking. She says his left is under my head and his right hand hugs me. So the Kabbalah says that this verse refers to the month of Tishrei. And his left is under my head, refers to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and his right hand is hugging me, refers to Sukkot. How so? In Kabbalah, the right side represents chesed, loving kindness and giving, whereas the left hand represents givura which is judgment and strictness and holding back, the opposite of giving. So his left hand represents the judgment of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's Roshi. His left is under my head, and there is a, an allusion in the word Rosh, my head, Rosh to Rosh Hashanah. And his Viminotahavkeni and his right hand, which represents Chesed and loving kindness and love and giving is, is hugging me. This refers to Sukkot. So Kabbalistically, the Sukkah is a divine hug that comes after the process of ourselves working throughout the whole month of Elul, then living through the judgment and the awesomeness of the days of awe, the days of awesomeness, and and followed by the closeness and the love and the hug of Sukkot. 
The days of awe are the days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. It's a total of 10 days. Those are the days when God's kingship is revealed. And that's why when we pray in those days, we don't call him Hakel, God, but we call him Hamelech, the king. So in the Shemona Esra, the prayer that we say morning, afternoon, and evening, three times a day with the, with the 18 but actually 19 blessings, there is a blessing that at the very beginning that says, Baruch HaTashem Akela Kadosh. So during those 10 days, we don't say Akela Kadosh, we say Hamelech Kadosh because he is the holy king in those days because that time his kingship is being revealed. Now, he's, um, are you able to move either right or left so I can see you? I with the red sweater? You, you are? That's great, because I love to see everybody. Thank you for keeping an eye on her. Now, and uh, during the days of awesome, they're called the days of awe from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. They're the days of awesome. Awesome because we, all, we always talk about our relationship to God with love and fear, but the word fear doesn't sound very good. The word awe sounds much better. So fear, usually we, are, we have fear of pain. We have fear of tragedy. We have fear of war. God forbid, all those things. This is not a good word to say to have fear of God. It's much better to say to have awe of God because he's awesome. So the days of Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur are the days of awe, the days of awesome. In those days, the energy that is being revealed from God all the way to all the worlds and in the, all the worlds in the universe, both spiritual and physical worlds, is the energy of, of kingship, of him being the king. And therefore, there is a state of awe because when you're face-to-face with a king, a real king, you, you are scared. But not scared of he might chop off your head. Scared of his awesomeness because he's a king. When you meet somebody that's truly awe-inspiring in front of that person, you feel, you know, a great sense of respect beyond awesome. My husband tells the story that we heard directly from um, there was a Jewish guy who was in the mafia in Chicago for many years. And as a side job, he, he was a driver. He had a limousine company. And one time, he was put in charge of driving Golda Meir. Mm-hmm. Anyways, when my husband and I spoke with this guy, and I forgot his name, but I remember the story. When we spoke to him, and he had been, his life had been threatened so many times. And he was face to face with so many mafiosos. And he was in so many difficult situations. My husband asked him this question. When, when were you the most scared in your whole life? And he said, one time they asked me to drive Golda Meir. I was her driver. She was in the back of my car. That was really scary. And my husband was shocked. He said, but you were dealing with the mafia. Your life was threatened so many times. Uh, all the Golda Meir was an old lady. She wasn't going to do anything to you. She says, yeah, but it was this sense of awesomeness that there is this amazing person that's awe-inspiring. That's what made me scared. Not that she was going to do anything to me. So that's why I don't like to call it love and fear of God. I like to call it love and awe of God. So we're not afraid of the punishment. We are 
are in awe of his greatness. So during the days of awesome, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, those 10 days, we feel the energy of awe, of that kind of respect-inspired fear, very strongly. That energy is very revealed. And why do we feel it? We don't see anything. We don't hear anything. Life doesn't seem different. Because that energy is revealed in all the worlds, not just in, this, in a specific place. In the spiritual worlds, in the higher worlds, that are called the olamot and the elamim. They're called the hidden worlds because they're hidden from us. So even in the highest of all worlds, when you have the highest caliber of angels, they are feeling that energy of awesome of the king. The king. The king is here. The kingship is being revealed. The energy of kingship is being revealed now. So the angels, and we say this in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We say that the angels are trembling at this time. Because that energy of awesomeness and kingship is being revealed in all the worlds. The angels and the holy souls of the greatest souls are all trembling in those days. And because they are above that feeling that way, it sort of trickles down below. And we feel it too. How does it trickle down below? The Talmud says that sometimes we hear and we don't, something that we don't hear or we see something that we don't see. For instance, in the, in the, in the, in the Mishnah, Masechet Avot, it says every day there is, a wo- there is a voice that comes out, a voice like an echo, a basco, that comes out from Mount Horev and says, Woe to the people, woe to the people who are in the shame of not learning Torah because everyone who do- anyone who doesn't learn Torah is called shamed. They are like... like, like they have a, a great gift and they're not using it. So it says that every day, this voice, echo-like, is coming out of Mount Horeb. Did you ever hear it? No. I didn't either. So if nobody heard it, why, why is it there? Who is it talking to? Nobody heard it. So the sages explain our physical being doesn't hear it and doesn't see but our spiritual representative above does so inside of us and there is a fraction of a soul the core of the soul is above it doesn't come into the body you thought you have a whole soul sorry your soul is above inside of your body there is a tiny fraction of your soul that came to give life to the body. But because your soul is connected to your soul as it is in your body, is connected to your soul as it is above, therefore, you are able to have the trickle come down from the revelation that's happening above. And so your physical ears are not hearing it, but your spiritual ears are hearing that voice. And that's why sometimes you might have an inspiration to do teshuva. Is that the, the shama? 
Yeah, so a, a your neshama is above, and a, a little part of your neshama comes down into your body to give the body life. And everything that's, exi that's in existence has a mazal, it's called, that's above. That's, that's telling, it says that even a blade of grass has an, a representative above that hits it and says, grow. I wish it didn't talk to my weeds in my garden. But yeah, but that's, that, that's what it is. Everything, every weed in your garden and every blade of glass, grass has its representative above that yells at it, grow. And sometimes we are suddenly inspired to do teshuva, to return to Hashem, because our other part has heard that bascal, that godly voice that's resounding in the spiritual worlds. So back to our topic. In the month of Tishrei, in the beginning of Tishrei, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, when the, the energy, the divine energy of kingdom, of kingship, of awesomeness is shining bright, all the angels and souls above are, this is very scary. And us below, we get a trickle of that and we get that inspiration as well. But... So the, um, I guess the, uh, the godly energy that the angels feel when it's not a high holiday season, it's, is it more of the, the kind of the friend, the help, the, the friendly energy versus a strict energy? Or? So, good question. So the regular energy, so the energy is always flowing and changing. I don't think it's ever like constantly the same. Well, I would say that the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur are the days of judgment for the entire universe. Hashem is even judging on Rosh Hashanah whether he wants the world to continue to exist or not. And that's why we have to go and ask him, please be our king, so that the world keeps on existing. Um, so the energy of the days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is an energy of judgment. Are they shaking for themselves or for us? For everybody. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. Either the universe exists or it doesn't exist. If he decides to stop creating it, then nobody exists. All the angels only exist because he created the world for us to live. And since there has to be a physical world with us little people who have freedom of choice, therefore there is also all the other layers that are coming between the top and the bottom that also exists. But every, the world was created for us humans who have freedom of choice to do right or not. Yeah, so, yeah, so they're afraid for themselves, for us, for the whole universe, yeah, because of the energy of judgment. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On the days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, when this incredible, awesome energy is shining, it empowers us to collect our feeling of awesomeness for the entire year. So it's like this is the time, these are the 10 days of the year that you get to collect your energy of awesomeness for the whole year. It's either you're in or you're not. It's like you go fishing, you, got, you, got, you caught something or you didn't. Those are the 10 days to catch your divine energy of feelings of awesomeness for the whole year. We tiny little humans can't feel love or awe for something we don't see, hear, feel, touch, and relate to. So I could say, oh, I love this um, person or food or whatever, 
it's I think it's awful to say love in regards to food, but in our culture we do. So you can say I love this or I like this book or whatever it is that you love, but it's something that's in front of you and you are relating to it and you know what it is. But it's very hard to say I love a person that I never met. And you wouldn't be afraid of something that you don't know exists. You wouldn't be afraid of a danger. You can be afraid of what the Taliban is doing in, in, in Afghanistan, even though you're not there, but you can relate to the concept of what's happening and you can imagine and you can see images in your phone and in your screen. So even though you're not there, it's still scary because it's in the world that you live in, right? But if there's something happening that you have no idea and you never heard and you never saw, you're not going to have any feelings of awe or, 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 or fear or love for something that you don't know about. So it's very difficult to create the feelings of love and awe for God unless we have some kind of revelation. So in the days of awe, there is this revelation. And if you put out your net and you collect it, you will have enough to last you for the whole year. You are rising spiritually. So like the Talmud says, if you sanctify yourself a little bit here below, from above, they sanctify you so much more because you took the initiative and you're doing. So how do we collect that energy of awesome during the day from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur when it is revealed but we have to be we have to have the net to collect the fish we have to have the vessel like I wanted a cup of tea and this gentleman gave me a cup so the water poured into the tea but if I had no cup then I would have no tea right so this is what we have to create we have to create the containers for the energy So Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are what we call an auspicious time. It's a good time to collect this energy. And that's when it's the second part of the verse, which is the part that says, Vedodi Li, and my beloved is for me. But in order to have the vessels to contain the energy when it becomes available, we need to create the vessels during the month of Elul, which is the month we are in right now. We need to create these containers. We are the containers, so we need to prepare so that we actually, when it becomes Rosh Hashanah, when we come to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we can collect the energy. In other words, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there is going to be a tremendous revelation of divine energy. Some of us will be able to collect it and keep it, and some of us, it will go in right through us and not be collected. If you are able to collect the energy, you can keep it with you for the entire year. If you are not able to collect the energy, it will wash right through you like it was never there. In other words, you might be inspired on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because the energy is there. I'm sure everybody here has been in Shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and you cried. The prayers were very inspiring. And you cried when in my, in my teen years, I, I was in Argentina and we had an incredible rabbi. He didn't have the most beautiful voice to be a chazan, but when he prayed, the rocks, the rocks cried. When he prayed on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, even the walls were crying. It would shake you up. His voice was full of 
inspiration. He was crying from the depths of his heart, so it inspired everybody else. But if you, we have not created containers to harness it, we don't keep it for the whole year. So the time to create those, those containers is the month of Elul. What happens during the month of Elul? The Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy, are revealed in the month of Elul. Have you seen them yet? They are revealed. But you still have to go and find them. They are revealed deep, deep inside of ourselves. But we have to look inside and find them. I believe, I asked Rabbi Solish to give you this. Be very careful with this not to throw it out in the garbage because it has three divine names. It has the 13 attributes of mercy. See where it says number one, it says Hashem's name, number two, Hashem's name, number three is the word Aleph Lamed, which we don't pronounce correctly because it's a divine name. So when we are not praying, we say Kel. Instead of E, we say Ke, say Kel. So this name of God is in our name too. We are called Bnei Israel or Israel or Israel. So we are Sarkel. We are like the ministers of God. We have inside of ourselves that Aleph Lamed. So it's within ourselves, the Aleph Lamed, this divine name is within ourselves and it becomes revealed in the month of Elul. But we have to do the awakening. We have to do the work. During the month of Elul, we have to do the work to do Teshuvah, to awaken a desire to come closer to God, to awaken the desire to do only what Hashem wants in thought, speech, and action. Not so easy, but a goal to work towards. So the Teshuvah has many layers. Last year, I, we had a Zoom class on Teshuvah this time of year. Anybody was there? You were there? So if you didn't see last year, I believe that Rabbi Solish has uh, the tape. And it's also on Chabad.org. It's basically how to do, how to do Teshuvah. It's on Chabad.org, and it's called Using Your Future to Change Your Past, because Teshuvah can change your past. So it's Using Your Future to Change Your Past on Chabad.org. So in order to create the vessel within ourselves, to receive the energy and to keep it for the whole year, we need to do teshuva. Teshuva means leaving behind anything we did wrong and moving forward to do only good, only what Hashem wants from us. And at least in action. Speech is a little harder. Thought, controlling your thoughts is the next level. But it's something to move forward in something to to work with. So this is the teshuvah, the desire to do only what Hashem wants to leave the, behind everything else. If the 13 um, attributes of mercy are revealed during the month of Elul, why is it not a Yom Tov? Why is it not a holiday like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? 
because there is a huge difference between Yom Kippur, where the divine attributes of mercy are really revealed, and the month of Elul, where they are shining with a soft glow. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, created um, a metaphor to explain this concept of the 13 attributes of mercy being revealed. And he made up the story of the king in the field. I'm sure you've heard the story of the king in the field. And the Alter Rebbe is meticulous with the use of each word in this metaphor to tell us what is happening. He says, a king is in the meadows outside of the city before he comes to the city. And when he is in those meadows, he's available to everybody. He's not wearing his crown. He's not wearing his red cape. He's not wearing his royal jewelry. He's dressed like a civilian because he's not in the palace. He's in the field or in the meadows outside the city. And therefore, because it's outside the city and he's anyone who wants could come and connect with him. Now, there are three kinds of people. The people who live in the city, the people who live in the field, and the people who are in the desert. They don't even, they're not even in the field. They're in the desert. So the people who are in the city are basically the tzaddikim, those who are close to the king all the time, they are already doing what the king wants. They are already in the city. The people who are in the field are the intermediate people, the Bainanim, the intermediate people. And they have the opportunity during the time that the king is in the field or in the meadow to come to the king. And the Alter Rebbe continues is in, met in his metaphor. He says, and the king shows a shining countenance and a happy face to everybody. He welcomes everybody with a smile. So, um, and, and it says everybody. Let me find the words here. There, I'm, I'm reading from the Hebrew and saying it in English. About the king, the marshal of a king, that before he comes to the city, the people of the city come out towards him and welcome him in the, in the field. And then everyone who wants to come out to welcome the king, he, the king, receives everyone with a pleasant face and shows everyone smiling face, a face, smiling face. And when he goes to the city, the people go behind him. Afterwards, when he comes into his royal palace, people can only come in with permission and an appointment. And even though, and even that, even the permission and the appointment is only for a very select elite who is allowed into the palace. But while the king is in the field, absolutely everybody can get there. Now the Rebbe explained this, this metaphor of the Alter Rebbe and said that the greatest purpose, the ultimate reason of the king being in the field it's not really for the people in the field. It's not really for the people in the city either. The king is in the field so that the people in the desert will hear about it and can welcome the king. And who are the people in the desert? 
If the people in the city are the tzaddikim, they're the righteous people, and the people in the field are the benonim, the average people, the people in the desert, in the desert, there's nothing there. The people in the desert are those who have nothing, no Torah learning, no mitzvah doing. They have, they're far, 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 far away from the king. But the king says, just let everybody know that I'm here. So whoever comes, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. I'm here and I'm available. <clears throat> and even those who don't come, I still have a smile for them. And that's why it's divided. And then it says two things that seem to be the same. It says he shows everyone a smiling face. He, no, sorry. He receives everyone with a, smile, with a pleasant face and he shows everyone a smiling face. So basically it's for those who come to see him in the field and even for those who don't come to see him, he says, I still love you. I still have a smile for you, even if you don't come. But if you want to reap the benefits of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you need to go and welcome the king when he's in the field. And that way, when you actually get your ice cream, you're not going to put it in your purse. Because you prepared. You were ready for the experience. That way, when you receive the revelations of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, because you prepared, you're going to put those energies in the right place, in the right containers. It's like you're going to get to eat your ice cream and not throw it in your purse because you are prepared. Imagine that now that we... I remember the first time I was able to go shopping when the shops opened in the pandemic. I was so moved. I was so excited. All of a sudden, something that had been a heavy burden, like going to Kroger's and putting potatoes and tomatoes and bananas in a cart, became so exciting. <laughs> I get to go to the supermarket. Huh? I got to see people. You got to see people. You got to shop for your own potatoes and your own bananas. That was so exciting. I remember the first time I went shopping, it was like really an experience. Something that before was, oh, no, I have to go shopping again. Now it was, wow, I get to go shopping. Um, they let me out of my cage. They opened up the stores. It was fabulous. Now, I'm going to take you a step further. The malls are open. All the stores are open. And you can go and take whatever you want for free. Okay? So you can go tomorrow morning. All the shops are going to be open. And nobody's stopping you. You're not shoplifting. It's available for free. These you, are stores? Just hold on. This is a shopping center. You can go and get all the clothes you want, all the shoes you want. You can get new bed linens and blankets and pillows and new towels. You can get stuff for your kitchen. You can even go to the jewelry stores and pick up all the jewelry you want. Diamonds and gold and whatever you like. It's all open for the taking. But you say, Oi, I had a long day at work today. I have a headache and I'm kind of tired. I don't really feel like going shopping today. What would you do? One day, it's all open for the taking. It's all free. You are tired. And you have a bit of a headache. You go or you don't go? Why? Because it's only one day. Because it's only one day, and it's an amazing opportunity. 
amazing opportunity, that's the month of Elul. That is when everything's open for the taking. The 13 attributes of mercy are shining, they are open, and God is, the king is in the field, he is so available, and if you go and say, I'm sorry I messed up, God, I'm gonna be better from now on. Sure, honey, I welcome you with open arms and a big smile. I'm forgetting everything you did. I'm accepting you. You're doing teshuva. I'm receiving you with open arms. That is the month of Elul. The king is in the field. The 13 midot of Rachamim are shining. And you can do teshuva. You can come back. Everything is a clean slate. And everything is wonderful. But it's not a Yom Tov. Because it's the, the 13 midot, the 13 attributes of mercy are not revealed in the way that they are revealed on Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is like, you can almost touch it. You go to shul on Yom Kippur and you pray, you can almost touch the godliness. It's so, so revealed. And that's a Yom Tov. Every Shabbat and every Yom Tov, there is a special divine energy that is revealed every Shabbat and every Yom Tov. But Yom Kippur is Shabbat Shabbaton, is a Shabbos of Shabboses, and it's the holiest day in the year. And then the revelation is blinding. And how do you get it? When you prepare during the month of Elul. So when you prepare, it's like you prepare to go into that store and meet Robert Redford. I don't really like using um, a human being as a comparison, but I felt, because nowadays we don't have a king. We don't really relate as well to the idea of the king. So relating to a celebrity and somebody becoming so frazzled by seeing a celebrity so confused that they put their ice cream in their purse, that we could relate to, that's why. So if you prepare in advance because you know what's coming, then you can put your stuff in the right place. So preparing for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the entire month of Elul. Because in the month of Elul, the king is in the field, the 13 Midot are revealed, and that's the time to go and collect. It's an incredible opportunity. That's only in the month of Elul. Now, there is another question with an answer, which is, if we say the month of Elul is the work, is our own work rising up towards Hashem, rising up to improving ourselves and rising up, getting closer to God, then in the four words that make the acrostic Elul, only the, the first two words relate to our work. In other words, the first work, two words are I am to my beloved, right? So that's I am going towards God. I am moving towards him to do more of what he wants and less of the stupid things that I do sometimes. So, and so why is the word Elul made out of both? I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. It should only be made out of the first two. Anybody sees the problem? No? Okay, so I'll explain again. We said like this. The verse has four words. The first two words say, I am to my beloved, as I am for God. 
The second words say, and my beloved is for me, as God is coming towards me. Because it's always, the spiritual worlds always reflect the physical world. So whatever we do, God is going to reflect it like a mirror. When we are kind, he will be kind. If we are, God forbid, angry, uh, all the channels of energy are shut down because if a person is angry, they can't receive any goodness, and so on. That's why it's more likely for a person to receive a miracle when they are in a state of love and joy. If a person is in a state of anger and, God forbid, hate or resentment, they're shutting down all the connections because the anger blocks everything. That's why if you want to be the recipient of a miracle, you need to keep your, your frequency high by being in a state of love and joy. It's very hard to be in a state of joy when you are in a mess that needs a miracle. But if you are able to, you are opening up much more possibilities. Okay, but what am I saying here is, in that verse that's in the Song of Songs, in the Shira Shirim, it says, I am for my beloved, my beloved is for me. Now comes Kabbalah and says, I am for my beloved. This is the modality of the month of Elul. I am for my beloved. I'm doing the shuvah, I'm coming closer to Hashem. And my beloved is for me. That's the modality of the, ten, of the next month, the Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, when Hashem responds to us and gives us the revelations. So why are the four words included? The acrostic is for, the, for the name Elul is made out of all four words, when actually the energy of Elul is only in the first two words. My, my move towards rising towards God and, and uh, I am to my beloved. So Hasidus explains, because of exactly everything that we've said tonight, that my beloved is to me is going to happen in whatever measure I am to my beloved. In other words, whatever investments I am making now, when the shops are open and the jewelry is for free, whatever investments are making now in the month of Elul to do the shuvan to come closer to God, the rewards of the investment are coming in the next month. So the revelations of the month of Tishrei, of the revelations of divine energy and kingship and love and embrace of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot are all contained in our work in the month of Elul. And that's why all four words, I am to my beloved, which is Elul, and my beloved is to me, which is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, are all included in the word Elul, because it's all one thing. According to how much I work now, I will receive on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And that is um, the first of two sessions that we have on this topic. Now I will, um, if you want to say something, I'm happy to hear, and then we will meditate. I'm lost. I know that this is attributes of Hashem, the ones that we know of. Yeah. Now there's many more. So in Elul, is this is, I'm supposed to dwell more on me having these attributes? Is this is, and is this Teshuvah between me and Hashem, or the people I live with and then Hashem? I don't know. I don't get, um, Good question. I think you asked about two or three questions. I don't know what I said. I just know I'm confused. Confusion is wonderful oh, because okay. once but you are self. because once you are confused, 
<laughs> you can dig deeper and clarify. So confusion, if you work on it, to get out of it, will get you to a greater clarity than if you listen, nod your head, and say, yes, I get it. OK, so okay, confusion is very good. So um, you asked a few things. You asked, uh, these are the 13 attributes. Where did I put that paper? The paper, with the, uh, it's here. We, um, so there is a 13 attributes of mercy, which are the divine attributes of mercy. So they are revealed in the month of Elul. The first three are names of God. They are names of God that talk about compassion, um, great compassion uh, to give to the creatures according to their needs, and so on. So this is divine attributes. What do I have to do in the month of Elul? Is since these attributes of compassion, see what it says here, number two, Hashem, compassion before a person sins. Number, uh, number one, number two, Hashem compassion after a person has sinned. He still has compassion for us so that we can return to him and he will accept us. Kel is number three, mighty in compassion to give all creatures according to their needs. Because if he gives a person not what they need, it's useless. Right. right. So these are divine um, attributes and they are revealed in this month so that we are able to do teshuva and be accepted now. You can do teshuva any day of the year, even in the worst of times, and you will always be accepted. But in Elul, Hashem is the king who's in the field with a smiling face waiting for you to come and say, Hi, I've been waiting for you. I'm so happy to see you. That's Elul. So teshuva will be accepted any time of day or night, any day, 365 days a year, any point. Teshuvah is always accepted. Elul is the month of Teshuvah. It's a greater time, a more auspicious time. It's like you can get a, a greater response for your Teshuvah, and you can get more for your investment in Elul. So, yeah, so then I'll, I'll be right with you. So then is it Teshuvah between us and God or between us and people? Yes and yes. All of Teshuvah. So before Rosh Hashanah, we ask forgiveness if we have, ins or before Yom Kippur, depends, um, if we have offended someone or caused them loss or whatever, um, then if, you, if the person, you know, is, is offended or whatever, we go to the person and we say, I'm sorry I said that, or I'm sorry I didn't say that, I apologize, I hope you will forgive me, and so on. That's, yeah, all that before the, these days of the year. And we also do teshuva between us and Hashem. So all of both of both of those need to be done. The only thing is that teshuva between us and Hashem, the second that we do teshuva, we are forgiven. The second that you say, Hashem, I messed up, I'm sorry, forgive me, you're forgiven. That's it, as long as you mean it in your heart. With a human being, it's more complicated because they don't always say, sure, no problem. But we have to at least make the effort to apologize um, so that, because those things that are between you and another person, God can't forgive you until they forgave you, or at least until you made an effort to get forgiven. If I, you ask forgiveness three times and they won't give you forgiveness, that's enough. You get, you let it go. But yeah, but it's both, all of it. Well, yeah. when, when you say that's enough, does that mean you are then forgiven? If you tried your best and you asked forgiveness from your heart and you meant it three times, that's enough. Then Hashem will. Take care of it. Yeah. Yes. So 
Those are God's, you know, those are Hashem's attributes, His attributes, yes. Just a cute little, ma- yeah. But we say it, I mean, I'm looking at, at, at the words in the translation. Yeah, we say it in prayer, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, in other words, I'm, I hear this, the melody in my head from going, you know. I love it, yeah. yeah. And Yom Kippur, we say it over and over and over, over again. And over again. And it's almost like it's a mantra to help us access what the divine attributes are yes. so that we can approach, like if we were in a palace and you're an example, you know, it's kind of rough for your average person to go visit the king and, you know, ask forgiveness and how you can have any kind of conversation. This is kind of like a helping us frame our own understanding and our own approach to Hashem. I mean, yes or no? Yes. Or, or, what, or what is... So why were you we, saying, why are we saying them over and over again on Yom Kippur? Yes, I guess that's a question almost. Yeah, so, yes, they are revealed more on Yom Kippur, but we need to draw them onto ourselves. We need to bring them out. It's like, God can't dance alone. You know, he wants us to dance with him. So in order for Yom Kippur to achieve what it's supposed to achieve, we need to be involved. And part of us being involved is bringing, saying it over and over again. We also do this many times in Yom Kippur. So that's, that's our work of doing Teshuvah. So he's going to forgive us and everything's going to be okay, but we need to do something. So this doing something is part of the process. Um, evoking the 13 principles, the 13 attributes, uh, and, and uh, evoking the 13 attributes of mercy is sort of bringing them out and empowering us to receive them. Yeah. I always get the feeling of begging when I do this. I mean, it's well, a good Yom Kippur, you're kind of begging for your life. Yeah. yeah, it's being decided, and Rosh Hashanah is decided, and on Yom Kippur, it's sealed. Who will live, and how you will live, and all those things. Okay, so, yeah, problem this year because I don't know if it's going to be healthy for me to be in shul or not. Well, the prayers can be said at home. You take a machzor and you can say it at home. You can go to shul, you can wear a mask, you cannot go to shul, you can stay at home, you cannot use a mask, you can be vaccinated, not vaccinated. Teshuvah has not, nothing to do with your personal choices. Teshuvah is just, I want God. Yeah. That's my choice. That's the only one, yeah. So when you mentioned that these 13 attributes are revealed, but you have to find them, you might have to find them during prayer or... They are revealed, you need to sort of like channel them. Channel, okay. Yeah, you need to make yourself a vessel. So you work the whole month of Elul. Today was the 16th of Elul. We still have almost two weeks until Rosh Hashanah. We can use those two weeks for self-improvement, Teshuvah, and so on. So, yeah, and then when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we are still channeling those energies, but much more. Elul, the king is available in the field. And he's friendly, but he's dressed like you and me. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the thing is in the palace, and those who prepared and went to greet the king when he was in the field can get admission to the palace when the king goes into the palace. So if we play our cards right now during the month of Elul, we can get access to the palace when it's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then it's a whole new ballgame when the king is with the crown, with the red cape, with the jewelry, on the throne, with the soldiers, and the whole bit. And that's more 
scary. But but we are chummy with the king because we met him in a Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if the, um, like, God is going to be instantaneous, God is already forgiving us, we just have to... Do it to Shuva. Yeah. So God's going to, God has already said yes. So God really doesn't change. He's already giving that forgiveness. He's, he's very available. Potential. We need to go meet him. Yeah, potential forgiveness. So in essence, we could forgive ourselves, we could let God off the hook, we could, we could um, clear up our own relationship with God and with ourselves. Um, yeah, uh, as long as you do teshuva, yes. In other words, he's in the field, but you have to go meet him in the field. The fact that he's in the field doesn't mean that you can sit at home watching TV and expect him to do anything for you. He's letting you know, hi, I'm in the field. You can come and see me, but you have to go and see him. That, 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 that analogy of meeting somebody halfway, I mean, God in the palace comes out to the field, right. you're somewhere else, and you've got to that, show up. That's right. You have to do your, your half of the deal. You've got to show up. But it's so easy once you show up. Once you show up, it's easy. So um, this is not tonight's topic, but just to remind that ourselves, Teshuva has three parts. Um... Harata vidui and azivatahet. Harata means regret. To act, you have to actually regret that you did something. If you feel, um, I had that ham sandwich and it tastes so good, I could do it again tomorrow, you're not doing tshuva. If you feel, I ate that ham sandwich, but I didn't know God doesn't like ham. So that's why I ate it. And I feel bad that I did something that God doesn't like. Or I spoke badly about my coworker, and at the time, I was so excited about what was happening that I forgot that God doesn't like gossip. So now I have to regret it. Now if I really, but you have to really regret it. Teshuvah doesn't mean, okay, God, forgive me. It's, there is three steps of work. You have to really regret the things that you did wrong. And what you have to regret is, I did something that the king of the universe didn't like. That's what you have to regret. I did that and he didn't like it and I feel bad. It's like if you are completely in love with somebody, um, you're engaged, you're going to get married, you're completely in love with somebody and you go and make for dinner what they, uh, the, the dish that they're allergic to. So you feel bad. You, you feel bad. Oh, if I had known you're allergic to fish, I wouldn't have, have made fish, right? So you, you feel bad. So that's the regret. You have to actually regret it. The second one is vidui, which is confession. That's why we do the confession so many times on Yom Kippur. But you need to actually confess in Elul also, Hashem, I did this. It was wrong. I realize now it was wrong. I regret it. And you know that confession in Jewish religion is only between us and him. No human beings involved. Nobody needs, no human needs to know what you did. That's between you and him. You just go in the privacy of your room, lock the door and say, God, I did this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. So that's the second step to, to confess. And the third one is to actually stop doing it. And that's the proof that you meant it when you don't do it again. If you say, I'm sorry, I, I ate that ham sandwich last week and you go and eat another sandwich, ham sandwich this week, it didn't work. Basically, you have to actually show that you are... You mean it, and you're not doing it. And that's what Maimonides, the Rambam, calls teshuva shlema. Complete teshuva is when God tests you. He puts you in the same situation, 
and it tests you. Let's say that you gossiped about your coworker, um, and then you realize, oh, God doesn't like that. I shouldn't have done that. Sorry, God. I'm sorry I gossiped. Well, if tomorrow you go and gossip again about your coworker and you speak bad, speak, speak bad about your neighbor or your coworker again, then you didn't really mean it. So God puts you in the same situation where you see somebody do, let's say that you, what you're doing to Shuva for is gossip. And you say, sorry, I'm not going to do it again. So he's put you in the same situation and you are tempted to speak gossip again. But then you remember, I did Teshuvah. I regretted doing it. I did that already. I regretted doing it. I confessed about it and I said I'm not going to do it again. Therefore, I'm not doing it now. And you don't say the gossip. Whoa, now all the angels are singing and dancing for you because you proved yourself. And that is called Teshuvah Shlema, complete Teshuvah. So if you do Teshuvah for whatever you did, Expect to be tested. I know a story of a certain person who started keeping kosher, and then they were caught in the airport with no food. And then they're walking by, and there is all the, there's hot dogs and burgers, and it smells so good, and they're starving, and the only thing that's there, this is years ago. Nowadays, you can always find a granola bar or vegan stuff, because nowadays it's in style to be vegan. But this is going like 40 years ago. And the only thing that this guy could find was hot dogs and burgers, and he was starving hungry. And he had just committed to keeping kosher. So he was tested. And you pass the test. So expect that after you do teshuva, you will be tested. Expect to be tested, because then if you are expecting it, it will be easier when it actually happens. And you will recognize, ah, I know, that's God testing me because I did that and I did teshuva. So he's testing me to see if I don't do it again. And that's your proof and that's your teshuva shleima, your complete teshuva. It's basically God sends granola bars to people. Um, uh, yeah, but if you used to eat ham sandwiches and you do teshuva for that, yeah, he's going to put you in an airport with nothing else but ham sandwiches. Yeah. And you're going to be hungry. And you're going to see all there is to eat is non-kosher food. But I did chuva, now I'm eating kosher, so I'm not touching it. And that's your test. Okay, so I, I had prepared to meditate the last 10, 15 minutes. Would you like to? Yeah? Anybody? If, if you are not into meditation and you would like to leave, this is a good time to leave. If you want to stay and do the meditation, stay. Uh, whoever knows how to work the lights, can you dim the lights? Awesome. Leave a little bit on something, but just dim. Oh, this is good. Um, maybe if we just get keep the outside light and this is off, should, should we try that? Let's see what it looks like. Oh, you're clueless on that. Okay. Anybody else knows how that one works? Okay. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay. Okay. So if you are new to meditating, um, I'll let you know. You need to sit to the back of the chair. Sit with your back and hips touching the back of the chair. Um, if you are taller than me, make sure your feet touch the ground. If you are tall enough, then your feet touch the ground and your back touches the back of the chair. Your hands should be on your lap. Both your feet and your hands should not be crossed. 
but relaxed. Okay, hands on your lap, feet on the floor. You can choose to have your, ha your hands facing up or down. Okay, you may choose to close your eyes now or at any time and take a deep breath. Exhale. Slowly, slowly, take the deep breath very slowly. And when you're ready, you exhale slowly, slowly. And another slow and deep breath. With every breath, you feel all your stress melting away. All your worries and concerns are just leaving you because now is the time to meditate and you tell everything else, goodbye, now I meditate. Take another deep breath, slow and deep all the way from your belly and with the exhale as the air leaves your body so does your tension so does your stress all the negatives are leaving you as you exhale with the next slow and deep breath you will inhale good and happy feelings and you will you will exhale any remaining tension or stress you can now visualize yourself in that divine field where you can meet the king is just the king and I. No one else is there. The field is lush and green. The sun is a gentle warm light. The temperature is perfect. The sky is a perfect blue. And the grass is an emerald lush green you see the king in the distance and you walk towards him true he is an awesome and mighty king but look he's smiling at you he wants you to come closer What an awesome feeling to be near the king. He smiles at you and automatically you smile back at the king. The 13 attributes of mercy come to mind. You feel the divine names and the divine energies of the divine mercy 
surrounding you all around in a big circle you see the name of Hashem visualize the first leather the leather yod black fire atop white fire visualize the second leather the leather hay black fire and white fire visualize the leather valve black fire and white fire visualize the leather hay black fire and white fire this is the divine name of mercy as you see this name see the letters moving in a circle and surrounding you you feel completely enveloped in the divine embrace you feel completely accepted you know that Hashem wants you he loves you he accepts you and he smiles at you you get a feeling of complete protection complete calm complete trust that Hashem is with you feeling of intense serenity total serenity is just Hashem and you Hashem's attributes of mercy are filling everything and the divine light that's emerging from these names and these attributes is casting its light on everything in this divine embrace you only want to do what Hashem wants you to do in every action in every word in every thought Hashem I love you thank you for accepting me as I am and forgiving me 
I want to keep this feeling of love, acceptance, and serenity. I want to keep this feeling with me. Take the feeling, gather it all up, and put it in the best corner of your heart. Take the feeling of love, acceptance, and serenity. Put it in your heart that you may take it home and you may work and meeting the king in the field every day in Elul. With these images and these feelings safely saved, we are going to come back right back to this to this room at the count of four one two three you might remember your feet and your hands start moving them stretch your neck you might want to open your eyes and four fully back energized and revitalized by the meditation and the no- and the knowing that the shem is with us every moment very close and is filling us with his unconditional complete love we may have the lights back Okay. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Hope to see you again. May I ask a question? Sure. Um, the story where the king sends his son out and tempts the son by the prostitute to seduce him. That's, yeah. Uh, remind again why, why that challenge to the son? Because the son is going to be the next king. And in order to be the next king, he needs to be worthy. So the king first gives the son the best tutors and the best teachers and the best mentors and trains the son to be towards being a king. But before he actually becomes a king, he needs to be tested. Because the test will bring out their potential into actuality. So that that um, parable is what the Zohar says in order to answer the question, why is there evil? So the prostitute is a, is a parable for evil, for the Sitra Akhra, the evil side. But the point of the parable is that the prostitute doesn't want the prince to go with her. She has to do her job because the king sent a messenger to hire her. Obviously, the king doesn't go straight to the woman, but the king sends an employee to go and hire this woman and tell her the king wants you to try and seduce his son. But she knows that if he gives in to her, he's lost. He can't be the next king. 
So she's doing her job the best she can, but inside her heart, she's hoping that the prince will resist and not go with her. And that's to, for us to understand that even the evil side doesn't want us to sin. It's just doing its job of tempting. And the reason for this is to, the temptation is in order to bring into actuality our potential. We have potential to resist temptation. But if we are never tempted, how are we going to be rewarded? Rewarded for what? We don't reward children for eating chocolate. But we reward children for achieving in school or for helping at home or for things that are yeah. challenging. So, in fact, the shuba, if any sort, is not complete until that temptation is met. And, and, uh, so that's only in regards to the thing that you did the shuba for. So if I, if I used to eat non-kosher, my teshuva will be for not eating kosher. If I used to be uh, uh, go, going around gossiping, my teshuva has to be for that. So we are tested in the area of our, um, of our teshuva, whatever we do teshuva for. So, so um, something that doesn't tempt me, I don't need to be, to be tested with that. Everybody has their area of strength and weakness where they are need or don't need to be tested. Okay, thank you for joining today. I'm happy that people came. Everybody's hiding in their houses and yeah, I'm happy that people came. Perfect. Thank you for helping me uh, reset my framework. Oh, okay. That's the purpose of this. So, okay. Uh, to prepare for the purposes, to prepare. Yeah. Uh, to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. It prepare for purposes? I thought it was to prepare for the purposes. I misread the memo. <laughs> so I, I, I the purposes. The purposes. Yeah, they were jumping and they were uh, so the fins and the water I got all confused. I didn't see I didn't see the memo. I don't get the memo. Yeah, I don't get them either. So I, somebody read it to me, so I heard it wrong. So I uh, okay. feel better that I figured it out. He uh, he felt better too. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, what, what is that supposed to... Uh, that's a nominal... Uh, what's it? Got milk. Got milk was a famous ad campaign. Yeah, what was... What was that ad campaign? What was that? Pushing milk? You can still do progressive. In other words, you get up in the morning and you're trying to have a cereal. You have milk. Got milk. So that was what the that was what the brand campaign was. Yeah, yeah. I don't have since I don't have milk. I I don't have that. I don't get okay. Got soy milk. Got got almond macadamia. Whatever you want. I I drink macadamia. But. Yeah, we do too. Macadamia and almond. I didn't know there's macadamia. It's such a good flavor compared to any of soy. And I did not know there's macadamia milk. It's really good. Get it from Soy is the heart healthy one. Soy is the one that's really really good for you. Oh, I can't have soy. The problem with soy is I, I, I yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a lot. There's a lot of um, hormones, hormonogens type, type thing in it. Allegedly, yeah, yeah. 
I have a question for you, Rebison. Yes. Yes. Uh, the thing about Madam Amia is that it arrives yeah. with academia, so I feel really intelligent well, when I'm pregnant. Yes. Um, so yeah. do you think it's more important while we're here to work on our strengths or our weaknesses? We, we saw ah. That's like I'd saying, should I work on my right hand or my left hand? So, so you need both. All of it. The strengths are given to you for you to use them. Yeah. You use your strengths. For instance, I love learning Torah. So it's easy it's for me. Easy for it's you. easy for me. I love learning Torah. I sit, I learn, I come, I speak, whatever. It's, it flows for me. I love it. I don't like cooking. What can I do? But for Shabbos, it's a mitzvah to cook. So I need to prepare a class and learn Torah and share Torah with others. And on Friday, I need to cook. So when I cook, it used to be that because I don't really like cooking, that, oh, it's Friday, I have to cook. catering. Then I, <laughs> yeah, but it's a mitzvah because it's for Shabbos. So, so at some point I realized that I'm doing it all wrong. Because when I'm learning Torah, I'm happy I'm learning. When I'm cooking for Shabbos, I'm not happy. But it's a big mitzvah also. So the learning Torah was my strength and the cooking was my weakness. So I said, no. I have to be happy when I cook for Shabbos. Right. So now when I cook on Thursday and Friday, I turn on the music, I dance, and then I cook. Oh, that's nice. Because I, I'm cooking for Hashem. The king is coming to eat my food. So I'm happy. So, yeah. So we need to work on both, what we like and what we don't. Our strengths and our weaknesses. In the past. Because the strengths are given yes. to you to utilize them, your talents. And your challenges are given to you to overcome them. Mm -hmm. So they're all important. I have gotten some uh, more friends in the, on the other side. In the past three years, my family went from seven to four. Mom, dad, and then brother. That, that was, those were natural. They were, mom saved Beth Israel in New Orleans after Katrina. She's well known. My dad was a judge. He's well known. 84, 89, 61, brother. Of heart, of heart disease. So, um, so none of them was from COVID? No, not one of them. Not even one of them. So the, the interesting thing was, you know, I, I'm telling my siblings, hey, you know, give yourselves credit for the sacrifices we, we make for our parents. It's not just parents for children. Um, you know, I sacrificed, still, yeah, have a girlfriend, but still single my whole life, never, never married, no children, because I was supporting mom emotionally, and it was enmeshment, and it was, you know, just felt, felt, you know, I had so much things to work on. And then with dad, he was like, the judge, I don't know, coming up with this stuff and blah, 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 and making fun of spirituality, making fun of me for the spirituality and, and all that. Uh, Two and a half weeks before he died, can you help me see mom? Can, you know, you help me see can he help me see mom? She had, passed she had passed away two years 